This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your host, Peter Korchnak. We live in a world where different groups live in different versions of reality. Through confirmation bias and other biases, information we receive in such bubbles reinforces and often even radicalizes our beliefs and attitudes. Truth is indeed in the eye of the beholder. If disagreement on what is happening in the present poses a problem, imagine places where different views of the past stand in opposition. Not just interpretations of what happened, but the actual events are contested. The discourse can turn verbally and sometimes also physically abusive. Places like Croatia. In a past episode, I already tackled how different versions of history of World War II, of Yugoslavia, of the Yugoslav Wars of Dissolution, compete in the public marketplace of ideas. In this episode, we're going to delve deeper into historical revisionism in Croatia, where contesting versions of history play out in the political arena. Where in episode 10, historian Hrvoje Klasic offered an introduction to the phenomenon, today's guest will classify the roots of historical revisionism, identify its actors, and point to a way out of the predicament. Ivo Goldstein is a professor of history at the University of Zagreb. His office, where we spoke, is a few doors away from Klasic's. Goldstein has written some 30 books and textbooks on the history of the Byzantium, Croatia, Holocaust in Croatia, Jasenovac concentration camp, Croatian Jewish community, as well as a biography of Tito. He is at work on a book about Croatian revisionism. Croatian revisionism, of course, it's fake. It's uh, it's a lie. You cannot divide Ustasha, independent state of Croatia, from its uh, Nazi-fascist origin or character. From 2013 to 2017, Goldstein was Croatia's ambassador to France and a permanent delegate at the UNESCO. Croatia's other celebrity historian, he too appears in the media frequently. He is a fervent critic of virulent nationalism and revisionism of World War II history, particularly pertaining to the wartime Croatian state and the Holocaust. In one interview, he labeled nationalism as today's greatest danger. These attempts at revisions of Croatian history come mostly from the right flanks of the right. These are, let's say, right wing of the ruling party, HDZ. The solution is something akin to liberalism in the traditional European sense. I, I hope that leading politicians will be more responsible in future. Croatian exiles, a Serbian war criminal, and Lauren Hill also make an appearance. Professor Ivo Goldstein, how would you define Croatian revisionism? What do we talk about when we talk about historical revisionism in Croatia? Well, I'm writing a book about Croatian revisionism, which started um, actually in Croatian diaspora after 1945, due to collapse of the pro-fascist so-called independent state of Croatia, which uh, disappeared in Maine at the end of the Second World War. So those... Uh, Ustashe, who managed to escape towards the West, many of them to Argentina and some other countries, including Australia, Canada, uh, the United States, uh, started to create their narrative, which was different from, I would say, what uh, history or decent history is saying. They were neglecting uh, the fact that uh, this country, this uh, state, uh, Ustasha state uh, was created uh, according to 
Nazi and fascist uh, ideological uh, patterns, and it, it was uh, uh, some kind of puppet state, uh, puppet regime of of Hitler and Mussolini. So they uh, they were neglecting that uh, dimension of the problem, saying that it was only a Croatian national state that they were doing their best to defend Croatian national national interests. Uh, and this is what it is about. Uh, there are many aspects of that problem, but basically, this is Croatian revisionism. Croatian revisionism, of course, it's fake. It's uh, it's a lie. You cannot divide Ustasha, independent state of Croatia, from its uh, Nazi fascist origin or character. It's simply uh, impossible. It is also impossible to avoid mentioning the genocide which was committed against the Jews and against the uh, the Serbs and Roma and the mass crimes against the Croats uh, anti-fascist. In the 1991, as a victim of the aggression, in Croatia it became very popular to call upon the traditions of the Ustasha state because people were perceiving the Ustasha state as a good dam against uh, Serbian or great Serbian offensive or invasion. In our constitution, we have clearly stated that uh, Croatia is founded on the basis of uh, 1943 anti-fascist Yugoslav and uh, Croatian representative proclamations. That means anti-fascist Croatia and anti-fascist Yugoslavia, and that it, that it is this formal tradition w- was leading to the proclamation of independent Yugoslavia in 1991 against the proclamation of Ustasha's state in 1941. So in our constitution, it's clearly stated that we are an anti-fascist state. Nevertheless, in reality, uh, Tujman was making many concessions uh, towards uh, the Ustasha or Ustashism. Independent Croatia's first democratically elected president, Franjo Tujman, was a strident nationalist and self-styled father of the nation. In his actions and posturing, he also emulated that earlier leader and fellow Croat, Josip Rostito. A historian, he was also the first president of the Croatian Democratic Union Party, at whose helm he ruled Croatia until his death in 1999. In his pursuit and maintenance of power, he courted elements of the far right. In an interview for Balkan Inside marking 20 years from Tujman's death last year, Goldstein said, quote, Between healthy nationalism and chauvinism, he chose chauvinism. Between free market economy and clientelism, he chose the latter. Instead of the cult of freedom, he chose the cult of the state. Between modernity and openness to the world, he chose traditionalism. A fatal choice for a small state like Croatia that needs to open for the sake of development. When it comes to all the values of liberal democracies, instead of leading us forward, Tujman always led us in the opposite direction. End quote. He was seeing himself and new Croatian state as synthesis of all possible uh, nation-state uh, ideologies and politics. So he was making uh, or trying to make compromise or trying to make the third way between the, let's say, communist partisans and the Nazi-fascist Ustasha, which was, of course, completely unacceptable. There was a strong opposition in the 90s 
toward, uh, against these tendencies. And it has to be also underlined that there is no way to differ- differentiate the Ustasha regime and its criminal character from Croatian national state. It is simply, it cannot be Croatian national state. It wasn't. The Croats were disappointed very quickly after the proclamation of Ustasha state in 1941. Very soon they were opposing it, but it took them some time to take the weapons and to fight against it, together with the Serbs. So that was the basis for the creation of the uh, strong partisan movement led by the Croat uh, Josip Ostito. There is no way to relativize the criminal character of the Ustasha regime. It was simply on the bad side. So uh, this uh, story about revisionism is uh, also a very complex one. Where does the story start? There are three roots of the revisionism, which was developing in diaspora from 1940, 1945 till 89. Then certain elements were transferred to Croatia. It started to develop very quickly from 1989 and 90, and then it, it exploded th- throughout the war. Three routes. First of all, you couldn't speak about the, let's say, sensitive chapters of the Croatian and Yugoslav history here in Croatia till 1989. And there were some taboo themes which people needed to discuss, but there was no space. It was not allowed by regime. In certain aspects, certain uh, subjects were discussed, but always under the control of the Communist Party, and it was complicated. So, at at the moment when the possibility was created to discuss certain problems, they were discussed. And then, of course, in uh, such atmosphere, uh, you cannot at first point, at first sight, have a balanced discussion. There was always always a danger, possibility, and it happened in Croatia, that this uh, balance goes to the other to the other extreme. Although we had certain degree, as I said, a certain degree of uh, democratic uh, possibilities to, to have a democratic discussion, there were certain limits, and everybody, almost everybody knew where the limits were. But there were limits. So limits on freedom of speech during socialist Yugoslavia hampered the debate of certain subjects in that period. And when those limits disappeared with Yugoslavia's disintegration, the floodgates of discourse opened. What's the second root of historical revisionism in Croatia? Secondly, there was the fact that already in Serbia, uh, because there there was a very specific situation there with... um, uh, the rise of the Albanian national question and the reaction in Serbia, which went through through the 80s, and it was a top political question throughout the 80s. There was a revisionism which was uh, created in already developing in Serbia, and one of its peaks was already 86 when Memorandum was published of the Serbian Academy of Sciences and Arts, and then 87. Uh, when Milosevic became number one in the Serbian politics. The 1986 Memorandum of the Serbian Academy of Sciences and Art is widely credited with stoking virulent nationalism in Serbia. It voiced Serbian national grievances and portrayed Serbs as victims all throughout history. 
The sentiments the memorandum expressed helped Slobodan Milosevic's rise to power, providing him with ready-made rhetoric to fan the flames of nationalism. One of the questions or one of the statements made from many people who were part of that revisionist movement in in Serbia were stating that in the Ustasha camp of Yasenova, 700,000 people were killed and that the Croats were um, or are genocidal by nature. That means that uh, the whole people is accused of being genocidal, which is, of course, uh, completely unacceptable. So uh, that was also reaction to that uh, offensive or that uh, pressure which was coming from Belgrade, from Serbia. And then, as I said, reaction always creates something what uh, goes to to the extremes and then it happened in, in Croatia. So I'm in my book, in my future book, which will be, I hope, published next year, but who knows, in it, I'm following that development. And there are certain, there are certain stages and certain periods which needs to be analyzed separately. First of all, end of the war 95, then, uh, uh death of President Tujman and, uh, uh creation of the new uh, moderate social, uh, social democrat and liberal government in 2000, then, uh, um, very quite uh, not quick but uh, let's say relatively quick rapprochement uh, um, towards the European Union and we became members only in nine, uh, 2013 that means nine years after uh, most of the Eastern European countries and uh, six years after Romania and Bulgaria which is due to the problems we had because of the war and the problems we had we had in transition and with uh, this revisionist politics as well i would say revisionism was quite uh, suppressed after 2000 until 2015 although we saw it and it was still obvious but let's say quite uh, uh, comparing with the 90s uh, it was uh, almost silent, almost, I wouldn't say uh, non-existing, but uh, less obvious than in the 90s. And then after after the elections 2015, when we got new president and uh, HDZ after four years again came into power, and with the general development in uh, development in other European countries, we have, we have revisionism and the Ustashophilia and the Ustashism as an old, new, new old phenomenon once again here quite, uh, uh, quite strong and becoming stronger as uh, throughout last couple of years, that means last three or four years. Hadeze, the HDZ, the Croatian Democratic Union Party remains in power to date. Though in early 2020, Croatia elected a leftist president, Zoran Milanovic, replacing the HDZ figure Kolinda Grabar-Kitarovic, she of the Yogurt Gate, in the July parliamentary election, voters kept Hadeze in the parliamentary majority. 
And for the first time, a far-right party and members of the Green-Left Coalition, including a Democratic Socialist MP, also entered Parliament. If freedom of speech after decades of suppression and a reaction to Serbian revisionism are two roots of Croatian revisionism, what's the third? Well, the third root of Croatian revisionism is the fact that those revisionists, although uh, no matter whether they are amateurs or even professional historians, uh, their motives are not... uh, motives, let's say, scientific uh, or uh, no, uh, uh, motives of uh, professional researchers which have in their perception an ambition to know, to make a research, to understand something, to analyze, and then to draw out conclusions out of that and uh, to be pleased to have a new new text, new book. In front of their eyes is some kind of political agenda. Uh, this Croatian revisionism, as every revisionism, is uh, po- politically motivated. So uh, what they are doing is um, speaking about Ustasha and partisans, speaking about independent state of Croatia, but mostly having uh, um, everyday agenda. They are mostly promoting a concept, a social, political concept, which is conservative, which is uh, sometimes undemocratic, which resembles in certain aspects definitely what Ustasha state was, if not uh, genocidal or criminal in character, then certainly ethnocentric, uh, different or opposing uh, all the liberal democratic values of uh, modern uh, Western Western countries. And this is uh, the challenge with which Croatian society is confronted for for 30 years. There are certain uh, uh, circles which are not uh, even... uh, Many of those people were participating in the war and... uh, in theory, we, they were fighting for democratic uh, Croatia. In fact, they were not willing democratic Croatia or liberal democratic Croatia, which will uh, comply to European uh, liberal democratic standards. And we did it, in fact. They were, in effect, uh, opposing that. And they are not uh, satisfied with uh, Croatia today. They think that they were fighting for some other Croatia. And this is what it is about, even today. We have two perceptions, two, two visions of the Croatian society, even today, in public. And these people, these extremists, are speaking loudly and clearly about the society in which not everybody will be equal, There are some challenges towards the Croatian liberal democratic system. We see it, and we are, uh, me too, me personally, and my friends, colleagues, uh, uh, we are constantly trying to warn the public because of those challenges and dangers. They are still there, and uh, there are, in fact, many European countries where the liberal democratic values are in question, and I would say also in danger. So who is doing all this revisionist work? Who benefits? 
these are, let's say, right wing of the ruling party, HDZ. For example, they are challenging the rights of the Serbian minority. Uh, the Serbs, as a minority, which now, according to the census, uh, uh, there are 4% of the Serbs living now in Croatia, uh, and they are under the pressure of uh, assimilation. So who knows in the new the new census in 2021 how many Serbs will be there in Croatia. So I think uh, that the number of the Serbs is diminishing. Before the war, there were 12%, constituting the 12% of the population. Still, the revisionists are not satisfied and they think uh, that uh, even more uh, rapid, more quicker path of assimilation or even, uh, uh, I wouldn't say annihilation, but disappearance of the Serbian population would be some kind of uh, victory. Of course, they are attacking uh, political uh, opponents, uh, uh, naming them Yugoslavs or communists or among them, I can, I, I'm proud that among them, some of them see me as well. I'm not a Yugoslav. I'm not uh, a communist, uh, even in, in those uh, times of socialistic Yugoslavia. This is the perception of uh, those uh, extremists who are unfortunately not uh, only on the margins of the society as they were, let's say, five, six years ago, but they are pass uh, step by step uh, uh, pressing the mainstream political life. And this is the great danger for the Croatian democracy. And it is quite similar to those situations which you have in some other European countries as well. In a recent interview, you said that hate speech, especially towards the Serbs, and then to some degree Yugoslavs or Yugoslavia, is killing this country. Is this what you mean by the danger? Yes, definitely. I'm using, you can say also in English, that it is killing me. There is a famous song, Killing Me Softly. When that singer was singing that, she didn't mean that somebody will kill her. But anyway, it's... The problem is that you have, of course, hate speech from the other side, and that these uh, Serbian and the Croatian extremism, uh, and in the Serbian case, it's not only relevant for the Croatian extremism, it, there are some other opponents in the Serbian nation, nationalistic agenda, as Albanians in Kosovo and uh, Muslim, Muslims in Bosnia and Herzegovina, so uh, this extremism from all sides are making uh, other extremism functioning. If you have uh, uh, action from the Croatian side, uh, today particularly in the age of internet, you will have in a couple of minutes, not hours, couple of minutes, you will have reaction from the other side. Uh, there is uh, an episode a couple of years ago when uh, a Serbian... Uh, uh, a war criminal, Vojislav Šešel, was released uh, from the prison in the in the Hague, and he came back uh, to Belgrade, and then he gave certain couple of statements, very, uh, very aggressive, uh, and he was indicted for 
uh, he was accused of uh, ethnic cleansing of the Croatian population in in uh, some parts of Serbia where the Croatian minority is living. Vojislav Šešelj is a Serbian politician convicted by the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia of war crimes. He spent nearly 12 years in prison in The Hague during his trial, and when he returned to Serbia after acquittal on most charges, he became a member of parliament on his Serbian Radical Party's ticket. He uh, gave a couple of statements, very aggressive, and then uh, our president, uh, Mrs. Grabal-Kitarovic, answered that he will be uh, arrested if he comes to Croatia and that we have certain reasons to to arrest him and then he uh, said that he's coming to Croatia but uh, uh, that he will make love to uh, Mrs. President and uh, uh, he needs uh, he asked for a decent uh, for a decent bed to be prepared as he comes to Zagreb of course it uh, it creates a horrible explosion of the of the extremists from the other, from uh, the Croatian side, uh, as they saw it. I mean, it was, it was nasty. It was horrible. And then you have, uh, um, w- what my disappointment is, you have, um, couple of idiots from, uh, from both sides saying this or that. I had to, uh, mention this episode because it's very, uh, it is uh, very characteristic. So you have, you are working for months on reconciliation and uh, uh, creating mutual understanding. And then you have uh, such an idiot who uh, destroys every, everything in a couple of minutes. So what is to be done? How can the situation be resolved? I, I hope that leading politicians will be more responsible in future, in future months and years. Uh, under, they have to understand that their agenda shouldn't be to incite uh, basic uh, emotions and to incite uh, uh, hatred, although they are... Uh, they are giving certain space to the, those extremists and uh, they should do the opposite. That means they should work on uh, mutual understanding of, on rapprochement, on um, creating basis for further development of the liberal democracy, particularly Croatia. Croatia is a member of NATO, European Union. We have certain uh, responsibilities. We have certain interests, at least, in the countries uh, uh, in the southeastern Europe. That means in the, the countries of former Yugoslavia, which are still out of the European Union and out of NATO. Some of them, not all of them. So uh, we are obliged to work with our partners in Europe. Uh, we have to. Uh, try with them to resolve the problem and not to be part of the problem. This is uh, what, uh, unfortunately, in some aspects, Croatia uh, became being very similar to uh, in promoting revisionism and ustashism and uh, uh, inadequate politics towards its neighbors in the southeast. That means that we were becoming 
or resembling or becoming similar to the concepts of political concepts which are promoted in our neighborhood, in our southeastern neighborhood. And this is, a, I would say, political creation, political tragedy today. Something doesn't sit right with me in Professor Goldstein's account of the three roots of historical revisionism in Croatia. Using his metaphor of a tree, the first root, freedom of speech, seems more like the environment that allows the tree to grow. And Serbian revisionism seems more like fertilizer. It's only on the third point that we agree. Way back when, I analyzed the dissolution of Yugoslavia as a result of elite mobilization. With this lens, I view Croatian revisionism as a power-seeking strategy, a tool certain segments of the political spectrum employ in the pursuit of power. They remain on the right fringe for now, but the fact a center-right party in power tolerates them and on occasion co-opts their message allows their rhetoric to persist and definitely remains a cause for concern. I return to the issue of historical revisionism in former Yugoslavia for a reason. Compromising with the far right tends to result in some of that extreme rhetoric entering the mainstream. The US, Hungary, Brazil, Croatia, it's happening. Whether you talk about Jews or immigrants or Serbs or communists or migrants, the other may change from country to country, from period to period, but the impulse to victimize them for political purposes persists. What is to be done becomes the more urgent question. Calling them out is one route. Another may be, paradoxically, not giving them energy because once you start playing their game, once you try to match their volume, you've already lost. Presenting more attractive alternatives, reframing the issue, as it were, is a third solution. Whatever it is, at least one part of that old Yugoslav slogan, Smrt fascismu, sloboda narodu, or death to fascism, freedom to the nation, won't get old. Here's to not having a reason to say it anymore someday. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find all the resources for this episode as well as subscription links in the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. And if you feel some responsibility for Remembering Yugoslavia, support the show on Patreon or tell your friends. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by No Sense, licensed under Creative Commons. I am Peter Korchniak. Bok! <laughs>